0: His sannyasin name is Krishna Venu, that is, Krishna's flute. He received it on the 3rd of March 1977, when he was four and a half in India. His mother's name is Maprem Anugata, which means little love story. She also received her sannyasin name in India, in Pune on the 16th of February, 1977. These dates are unforgettable for Sanyazins, because they represent a sort of baptism. It was Osho himself who initiated them to their path to decide what their name would be from that moment onward, giving them almost a new identity, which through its meaning shapes an entire destiny. Venu and Maprema Nugata are deeply bound to each other. They have lived a unique experience, an experience which has made them close and set them apart at the same time. Today, we tell their story, that of a mother and a son and the decision that changed their destiny. Or maybe not, because, as they'd say, this was exactly their destiny. This is Roberta Lippi. I write for TV, radio, and the web. You are listening to Soli, a journey into the memories of children who grew up in Osho's communes between the beginning of the 70s and the first half of the 80s. In this episode, I have been entrusted not only with the memories of Venu, a screenwriter currently living in Berlin, but also those of his mother who decided to have him with her in those years, on an adventure she didn't know where it would lead them. Ma Pre was at one point an active member of Lotta Continua, the Italian communist movement in whose ranks she met Venus' father, and such a significant feminist activist that her influential work has recently been discussed on a documentary on Swiss television. What could have pushed such an accomplished woman so clear on the path she wanted to follow and the fights she wanted to pursue to abandon everything to move to India in order to follow a mystic, perceived by the rest of the world as a something of a cult leader. I met them in Switzerland, near Bellinzona, where Venu came to visit his mother and spent a few relaxing days with his little girl. I'm curious to find out how it all started, and I chat with them separately so that each of them could tell me his or her own story.
1: I'm
0: one of those
2: people who lived through 1968. My generation was lucky enough to witness an era of incredible openness during the 60s and at the beginning of the 70s. It was as if all that heaviness of the fifties, the period after the war, was suddenly melted with all the moralism and conformism. Suddenly it was as if the veil had parted and it had all allowed us to express ourselves in a different way and influence each other in a different way,
0: spiritually too. Anugata is on a quest. She's a sensitive woman a creative and an activist, attracted by Castaneda's writings and by his reality beyond reality. And she wants to investigate mankind even more deeply.
1: As
2: soon as I told myself I want to get to know these different realities, it was as if I'd put a call out. I was put in touch with a Buddhist who practiced several therapies connected to Buddhism. I followed her. I practiced Tai Chi and I worked on dreams, on imagination. I read the Buddhist teachers and thought, wow, what I'm reading is almost like an inner voice I can finally hear.
1: Ho letto i maestri buddisti e mi dicevo wow ma questo quello che dicono sono proprio è come una voce interna mia che finalmente sento. A quel punto during that
2: time, I had co-founded with a few other women a publishing house in Germany for women writers. We always went to the Frankfurt Book Fair with our stand to present our latest publications.
1: Ours was
2: the first feminist press, so we had a lot of success. We
0: started off with a bestseller, etc.
1: bestseller
0: it was there that happened the first contact with Osho's world, because the master, who was then having himself called Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh, had begun dispatching his first Western followers around the world to recruit more faithful.
1: At the
2: Frankfurt Fair, this woman all in orange comes up to me with a book under her arm and says, I have this book of this Indian master called Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh. And I said to her, look, I'm very sorry, we're a women's press, we don't publish male writers, you should go look somewhere else. Then I looked at the book for myself and I saw some pictures. And I saw Osho and his eyes. And I was immediately struck, as if I had received uh, energy just looking at him, and I felt
0: something in me which was chiming. As we know, destiny doesn't take no for an answer, and shortly afterwards, Anugata runs into the same woman, who asks her for a passage to Munich. During that journey, the woman shares her story and tells her about her life in
1: Pune.
0: I was totally fascinated.
2: And I told my friend who was driving, we'll go there, we'll go this winter, we'll go to Puna. And in the end, we were in India in January, me and my son, who then in 77 was five.
0: Venu would turn five a few months later, and that journey was a great adventure for him
3: my mom wanted to move to india permanently so she's persuaded her boyfriend to buy a camper from the mail service it was yellow and still with the logo of the german mail they bought it and a year after we'd visited india for the first time we left for iran turkey afghanistan afghanistan before the russians invaded it was the most beautiful country my mother had ever seen she tells she still tells me today And then we finally got to India. We built a bamboo hut, as almost all Sannyasins did, a small bamboo house where we would live for three years. Few people lived inside the ashram. We lived in the properties around it. There was a quarter called Corrigan Park, which was the colonial district with giant properties, with parks just around there. And there were all these little sanyas villages of bamboo huts everywhere. The property where I lived was called Music House, and there were two or three hundred bamboo huts. It was really a little village.
0: Anugata finds an extremely modern man in Osho. When listening to one of his speeches for the first time, she has an epiphany. Lui ha cominciato, Osho, a parlare delle donne.
1: He started to talk
2: about women and the conditions of women in our society, and he made such a speech I could have published it from A to Z. I agreed entirely with what he said. He was extremely modern in his vision. I immediately felt a concordance, an extremely deep intimacy with his views, partly because of his amazingly strong aura. And after three days I said, I will become sanyasin.
0: And so it was. Anugata takes the sanyas and becomes sanyasin. But how did little Venu take all that?
2: The children got bored, right? All right, Osho's bitches. But he didn't understand anything. He waited for me outside and he saw us come out in orange with a mala on. He was immediately fascinated by this mala and he said he wanted to take the sannyas. And I said, are you sure there are certain implications? I tried to explain, to make him understand put him in front of a choice, but he insisted because of
0: a
1: mala.
0: To Anugata, though, this wasn't just the whim of a needy child, but something more mysterious and inexplicable. She thinks of Venu as an old soul, and it's impossible to find out what moves his wishes. So the mother gives in to the child.
3: They wanted to leave the choice up to me, but since they were all going around in red, and they had malas, it seemed like an injustice to me. I also wanted to dress in red and have this mala. So they made an appointment with Osho for me. Well, the night I took Sanya's, there was a lot of people. There were mosquito nets everywhere, and he spoke and spoke, and I was bored to death. And there were all these people asking him questions. At one point, They finally called me, and I went up sitting at the foot of the master. And he gave me my new name, Swami Krishna Venu, and the mala. He touched my head, and my mother asked him some questions. Waiting outside, and I was all proud of the mala, and I showed him the mala, and I said, wow, now my name is Venu, but who cares, right? And this was my initiation. The children's mala was smaller. It even had Bhagwan's picture. But it was a little smaller than the big malas it was very pretty though i liked it a lot and i still have it today children should be a responsibility of the commune not the family it's families that create terrible problems in children's minds it's families that give them all the diseases all the superstitions, all the stupid prejudices, theologies, religion, political parties. They impose them on children. Children must be freed from families. If you want a new man, well, families are a terrible institution, and their time is done.
2: It's clear that children don't belong to you. They are, if you will, divine entities which have become incarnated and which pass through this experience of reincarnation and choose parents that are propitious for their spiritual
0: path. And so, Venu decides the moment has come to emancipate himself. He wants to live alone. He is seven.
3: We decided we didn't want to live with our parents anymore. We set up a lottery to gather some money, and in the end, we made like two or 3,000 rupees. We had a hut built just for us kids, so I first left home at the age of seven. I lived a year without my mother, who came every morning and gave me 10 rupees a day to eat. Then I went to school on my own, I did whatever the fuck I liked, and normally I spent these 10 rupees for cinema, on sweets, things like that, and since my mother worked in the ashram restaurants, in the afternoon when I got hungry, I ate there. It was like that, and that's how I did it.
1: He
2: always got 10 rupees a day when he ended up in this children's hut, uh, which was supervised by a teacher who looked after the children, because there was a school there, though clearly not an orthodox one. So every morning I walked the hundred steps and I brought him the 10 rupees he put in his purse. It was a children's gang. They went around the ashram like a tornado. At the time they were accepted, the teachers called on me once because Venu did things he shouldn't have. He stole money, etc. And the teachers said, look, you should maybe pay more attention to your son. Because I was always on a mission, I worked in the ashram night and day. And when they told me, I told myself, okay, once a week I'll give myself a day with my son. I went to the pool with him, even though he told me he'd rather have been with the other wild children than go to the pool with his mom. Parents were responsible for their children, obviously, but we were more a community.
3: It was a very free childhood, very, very beautiful, very rich. I didn't feel abandoned at all because I had a lot of friends and there was a school where we went to. But the school was basically just two garages with a lot of books and cassettes. there was that was everything.
0: Venu takes advantage of the supervisor's breaks to run away from school and go to the cinema. Nobody is worried about these absences because children are considered independent, until one day he decides to try something new.
2: I come home and there comes my Venu, totally drunk. He tells me, Mom, I drank some beer, (laughs)
1: haha.
2: He was seven. I was so surprised I slapped him. Are you mad? What's in your head? You know full well this is bad for you. Who told you that you could drink beer? We go home, he gets on the bed with me and suddenly he feels ill. I was very scared, obviously. They had an incredible childhood, unbelievably free.
0: One thing becomes clear when talking to Venu and Anugata. Despite the lack of attention, the running away, the drinking and the one day a week spent entirely with her child, she would never have abandoned her son. Then why, suddenly, do they find themselves apart, in two different cities, and Venu is shipped off to Medina, the Suffolk commune in England? That was the same school Tim Guest came from, exactly where we started. What happens in the ashram? And why are parents and children separated? We'll try and find out together through their own voices. Previously unheard accounts of men and women who lived firsthand as children, the experience of the commune. It's light and dark sides, the rules, the school, playing, working, meditation, but most of all, what it meant to grow up with parents who wanted them to be in common, on all levels. This is Roberta Lippi, and I look forward to having you back for the next episode of Soli, here on StorieLibere.fm. The international version of Soli has been translated by Edoardo Rialti. The International Voice of Roberta Lippi is Cecilia Gragnani.
2: Storie Libere Production by Gianandrea Cerone and Rossana De Michele. Editorial Supervisor Guido Guenci and Chiara Tagliaferri. Post and sound design era zero.